thanks for tuning in to this Journey Bible Church sermon podcast. Join us every week for fresh sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you are looking for a church in the Kansas City metro, come check out one of our church's campuses for worship on Sundays. Now, we hope you enjoy the message. If you're a guest this morning, uh, my name's uh, Mike Bickley, and I serve on the staff here. And we as a church really exist to help you find and follow Jesus. And, and I want you to know that we want more for you than for you to be a regular attender, to be a, a participant in a small group, and to give your money. We, we want way more for you than that. Any religious person can do those things. What we want for you is to experience the life-changing transformation of Jesus Christ. We want you to experience God in a personal, abiding, loving relationship. And we want that to impact your life day to day. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to understand his heart and adopt it as your own and then live it out. We want to see your lifestyle, your family, your workplace, your neighborhood transformed because you're transformed. You know, the most fundamental way that our hearts and minds um, and lives are changed is through you and I understanding and applying God's Word to our lives. So if you brought your Bibles, please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be picking up in the end uh, of chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, and we're going to be looking at Paul's prayer this morning. The book of Ephesians is broken into two sections broadly. So when you and I uh, read the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are all about our identity in Christ, our position in Christ. It's about the spiritual blessings that have been given us because of our faith in Christ. They're not things that we do. They're things that God has done for us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we spent several weeks unpacking those for us last week. Pastor Jeff walked us through the the idea of how through God's work in us, he is unveiling his mystery and uh, also displaying uh, through Paul and and through us now his mission. This morning, we want to look at prayer. And, And this section is almost a transition because the second half of the book moves from our position to our practice. It moves from our identity to our behavior. It's less about theological truths, and it's more about practical exhortations. If you read chapters 19 and 20 in in the book of Acts in the New Testament, those two chapters are dominated by the church at Ephesus. And what's really interesting, if you read those two chapters, you will have a preview of the issues that he's going to raise in the second half of this book, of things that you and I need to learn to live out. So we'll finish the first half this week, and we'll start the second half next week. 
So this morning, we want to look at Paul's prayer. And Paul's going to ask for three things. He's going to ask that we be strengthened with God's power, that we grasp God's love, and that we are filled with God's fullness. So let's read this section of Scripture together. If you don't mind, would you stand with me (coughs) for the reading of God's Word? For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray for us. Father, we now come to your word and um, all of us desire not to just have deeper knowledge and a greater comprehension of what's taking place in this passage as Paul prays. We long to live differently than we are now. We long to live the life you designed us for, to see you at work, to experience your power and your love and your fullness. So would you open these verses up to us in a way that each of us could find something that could be rooted in our own soul and worked out in our own life? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So Paul's starting point for this transition from our position in Christ to our practice in Christ is this prayer. It's very instructive for us that oftentimes through Paul's letters, as he's teaching, he will pause and pray. And then he will teach and he will pause and pray. That's what we have here is his second prayer. And it really is helping us to transition to the practice that you and I want to fulfill. Look at these verses that just kind of introduce this reason. He's saying, for this reason, I bow my knees. And that reason is, is because the mystery that's been revealed in the work that God has done in, in you and I and in, in us as a church, because of that reason, now he's going to pray for us because he knows that there are things that we're going to need to put into practice. And he says, I bow my knees. That's an unusual phrase. You and I think, oh, that's the normal path of prayer, right? Most of us maybe pray more often sitting. Second would be kneeling. Does anybody know what the most common posture of prayer for a Jewish person was? Standing. Exactly. And if you would actually watch them at the wailing wall, they all pray out loud at the same time. And many times they'll be holding their hands up or their palms open or or if they're blessing or praying over someone, they'll do it that way. But standing up was the most common posture of prayer. 
when someone took another posture of prayer, there's not a right or wrong posture, it, it is supposed to symbolize something. So I believe what Paul is doing here as he prays on his knees is, is he's really demonstrating this idea of submission to God, gratitude to God, desperation with God for what needs to happen. So he's bowing his knee before the great and glorious God because he has all power. He has all authority. He's grateful. He's grateful for all these blessings that have been given to us. And we should be grateful too. We should have great gratitude for our salvation, our redemption, our forgiveness, our cleansing, and the fact that God has made us new creatures in Christ. And we're on our knees in desperation Because if you've tried to live the Christian life by your own wisdom and your own effort, you have failed. Trying harder as a Christian is the most miserable thing you can ever do. It doesn't work. This is not a self-help mentality that the Christians need to have, that I just need to try harder. I just need to do more. That never works. Try it. It won't work. What you and I need is for God to be at work in us and God to be at work through us. So Paul prays, he bows his knees, and notice who he's praying to here. He addresses the Father. It's a language of intimacy and connection. He's praying confidently because he knows that every family in heaven and on earth, in other words, all true believers, have their identity in Christ, in the Father, in the Son, in the Holy Spirit. That's how they are named as his believers, his saints, the true ones. And so he's saying, I'm bowing my knees, coming before you, asking for three things. Paul is going to ask for three things. He's going to ask for power, he's going to ask for love, and he's going to ask for fullness. Now, as he does this, I want to tell you a little story about a donkey Uh, the donkey that Jesus rode into the triumphal entry. So if you haven't guessed, it's a made-up story. If you think I really know the story of the donkey that rode into the triumphal entry, boy, I've got some land in Florida. I'd love to sell you, okay? And this donkey um, had the most amazing day of its life. Jesus rode the donkey into Jerusalem. You'll remember as Jesus comes as the king, he rides on a donkey, not on a horse. Because when you ride on a horse, on a stallion, you're coming to make war. When you ride on a donkey, you're coming to make peace. Jesus came in his first coming to make peace. Jesus comes in his second coming, Revelation tells us, riding on a stallion because he comes to bring judgment and bring final judgment to the world. So, so in the first coming, he rode this donkey, a foal. And this donkey it was the most amazing day of its life. So it got up the next day and expected that it was going to have another amazing day. So it went out and it went into the streets. And he says, I'll just show myself to people and I'll bet they'll throw palm branches at me. I'll bet they'll throw cloaks in front of me. And he goes down the street and this donkey, nobody even notices this donkey. So the donkey starts screaming at him and donkey talk and telling him, come on, give me some cloaks. Give me something to walk on. And all the the donkey got was a big old pat on the rear and pushed off to the side. So the donkey said, well, they didn't notice me. And he goes, I'll just have to go. uh, They're a bunch of miserable heathens. He says, I'll just have to go over to the market where the good people are. 
they'll remember me. And so he goes over to the market, same thing happens. Nobody pays any attention to this donkey. And he's going, where are my palm branches? Where are my cloaks? Can't you see I'm the famous donkey? Don't you guys remember what you did for me yesterday? And he's so frustrated that he goes home to his mom donkey, <laughs> hurt and confused, and she says, foolish child, don't you realize that without Christ, you're just an ordinary donkey? Without Christ, you're just an ordinary human. But with Christ, you are a new creation. And there are things that God can do in you and through you that you can't even imagine or dream about. And that's what Paul's praying for here. And the first thing he prays for is that you and I would experience God's power and that that power would strengthen us to live the faith that God designed us to live out. In Christ, we can do all things. Without Christ, we can do nothing. So we need God's power to live that life. Look at what Paul prays. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, and here's the main verb, the main idea, to be strengthened with power. And how does he strengthen us with power? Through his spirit, which he's put in us, inside of us, so that through the spirit, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So I want you to notice here that he wants to strengthen you with power. And how does he do that? Notice it's according to the riches of his glory. Now, if you do a search on glory and you read through all the Bible verses that talk about God's glory, what you're going to find out is he never runs out of glory. He emanates glory. The Shekinah glory of God, when you find out what it's going to be like in the new heavens and the new earth. We're not going to have a sun. We're not going to have a moon because the glory of God will give all the bright light we will ever need forever and ever. Amen. That is limitless, inexhaustible glory. Notice what he's saying, that according to the riches of his glory, in other words, out of the place that's inexhaustible in the amount of glory that there is, would he grant you that same inexhaustible type with his power through his spirit in your inner being? Paul is asking that you and I be strengthened with God's power. Not your power made better. Even that's not that good. But God's power, even in the smallest amount, unleashed inside of us, gives us strength that is supernatural rather than human. Some of you, you know, last week I was on vacation and we went someplace warm. And um, boy, was I thankful. I, I prayed for you all. What a miserable week to be in Kansas. So I, I just, I got to figure out how to time all my vacations like that. It was really good. I got to play a couple of rounds of golf. And one of the things that I've noticed uh, about go, growing older and golf is that I've lost flexibility. And the, the, the turn that I have, I can't get my, I mean, I used to get my body con, contorted to take that swing. You know, you've watched the professional golfers, right? I can't do that anymore. So that means my club head speed has gone lower. And you know what that means. I hit the ball like an old man, and it doesn't go very far. 
not as far as it used to. So I was watching a little golf, and there's this guy named Bryson DeChambeau. Anybody know Bryson DeChambeau? He's the longest uh, driver on the tour and has kind of revolutionized uh, a lot to do with driving the golf ball. So I'm thinking, I wonder if Bryson would give up his day job and just come hit my golf ball for me. And then I realized, well, that's not going to happen. But what if I could take a little bit of Bryson and put him inside of me and just unleash Bryson anytime I needed to hit the bomb drive? You'd be impressed with that, Christian. That's what I did. And can't do that. So I'm stuck. I got to hit it like an old man and have a really good short game. That's what I got to do. You're not stuck. You don't have to settle for mediocre Christianity. You don't have to settle for a powerless existence. You don't have to settle for giving in to everything all the time. You don't have to settle for being cynical and pessimistic. You don't have to settle for being unforgiving. See, Christ is in us through the Spirit and the power of God that is so inexhaustible, like His glory is inexhaustible, is in you is in me. And he wants to unleash that power for his good. You know, God knows that we need a power source in us always that's unlimited and always accessible. So he put his spirit inside of each of us. Have any of you ever bought a fixer-upper home? If you have, you know, I'm just curious, how many of you bought a fixer-upper home? Okay, those of you that haven't, you've missed out on one of the great joys in life. Or, or as others might say, one of the great miseries in life. But, you know, when you buy a fixer-upper, when, when you go to take possession of it, what you want to make sure of is they got all the junk out of it. Because a lot of times fixer-uppers, they leave all their junk behind. They shove it in closets, they put it under eaves, they put it in holes in the wall, whatever it is, okay? And so you got to make sure that it's all cleaned out, then you take possession of it, and then you begin to remake it and remodel it and renew it. God has taken possession of your life in Jesus Christ. He's willing to clean out all the junk and fill you with himself and give you his power so that you can live his life. The power that prevails comes to the person who's willing to rely on his spirit. I know this sounds like the most simplest of applications, but I want to just tell you where I often fall down as a believer in Jesus Christ in accessing God's power. And I want to see if maybe you resonate with it. And it's this. Oftentimes when I find myself in a situation where where I need to hold my tongue or I need to forgive someone or I need to resist a temptation or I I need whatever it might be, oftentimes what happens is I start telling myself what I need to do and then this other voice starts telling me what it thinks I ought to do. And this little battle goes on. Anybody ever have these battles going on inside of your minds? It's like, no, forgive that person. No, beat them. No, you know, it's, it's like, it's not like, you know, hold your temper. No, let the full fury come out. Anybody ever have those little battles going on? And what I begin to do is I begin to tell myself which one I think I should do. And I get too far down the path of listening to these competing voices when I should have stopped in the first place. And I should have just said, Lord, I need your help right now because 
I can tell that I'm about to get into one of these word battles in my mind, and I need you to give me your strength to do what your word tells me I should do in this situation, whether I feel like it or not. And I just want to say the first step in accessing God's power is to ask for it. To get out of the trap of playing the battle of which of the two you think you should do. God's already told you which of the two we should do. We need to ask him for his strength to do it. So first is power. Great power is available to you and I as followers of Jesus. And then second is amazing love. And this is something that Paul prays that we as believers would grasp and take hold of is this incredible love that he has poured out to us. You know, as followers of Jesus, the, the hallmark attribute, the Bible says that we should be identified by as, is that we are people who are loved and we are people who are loving. And so Paul prays this. He prays that you and I would be rooted and grounded in love. That we would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. These, by the way, are kind of what you might call majestic buildups here. He's got this idea of you know, love is something that you are rooted in, something that you're grounded in. In other words, if you've ever been unstable emotionally or physically, you know what it means to be grounded and rooted, to be stabilized, to be founded upon, to be anchored. That's what he's saying. Love for the Christian in a world full of anger and hate and polarization. We, as followers of Jesus, we, as the church, can be rooted, grounded, stabilized, founded upon his amazing love. And he's praying that we would comprehend this love with all the saints. And think about what he just has said in the prior chapters. He's basically taken all these people, if you just look around here, he takes all these people, whether they're black, they're white, they're brown, they're yellow, they're rich, they're poor, they're young, they're old. He takes all of these people from all of these different backgrounds that hated one another. He saves them. He puts his spirit in them. He loves them. And then he says, now love each other. The only bond that can bring people who hate each other together is love. So he's asking the Father to help you and I realize how great this love is, how amazing this love is, how inexhaustible, incredible this love is. What is its breadth? What is its length? What is its height? What is its depth? And to know, to experience the love of Christ that's beyond fully comprehending in other words, it's better than your best imagination. Whatever you can think about God's love, it's better than that. It's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. It's more profound than that. As the church, you and I need God's love. And notice here, he's not really praying for us to go love one another. He's praying that we would experience and comprehend and grasp God's love for us. That's the starting point. Really, if you want to love other people unconditionally, 
You have to be so rooted and grounded in God's love for you that it doesn't matter how they act. You know, in the Bible, in the New Testament, we're told to even love our enemies. We're told to love and pray for those that persecute us and hate us. Jesus demonstrated that on the cross, praying for them that knew not what they were really doing. So I'd love to make a suggestion here. Um, if you're like me, I, I'm a doer more than I am a beer. Do I have any doers in the room? You, you like to get out there and do. And, and sometimes it, these emotional ideas, and, and by the way, love is more than an emotion, but it is an experiential thing. So it includes both the emotion as well as the action. And so love is something that sometimes for us is hard to fathom, hard to grasp. Maybe you grew up in a very unloving family. Maybe you weren't nurtured um, as a child. Maybe you grew up as an orphan or, or you grew up in a really harsh home. And so the idea, the concept of unconditional love, the concept of experiencing that and believing that someone always has your best in mind and always wants you to experience the, the best that God has to offer, you, you, may, you may doubt that. You may wonder about it. So one of the things that, that I have done in the past is taken passages that are about God's love for us and either memorized them or, or taken them and read them over and over and out loud and meditated on the different words and the concepts and asking God to put that into my life. And so if that's where you are here, that yeah, you're a person that could believe God has given you his power and wants to transform you, but you have a hard time experiencing God's love. And one great example that you probably struggle to experience God's love is that you won't forgive yourself. You'll say, well, I know God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. If that's you, then that means you haven't grasped really God's love that leads to his forgiveness. So take some of those passages like Romans 8, some of the Psalms. For me, I, I was reading in Ezra 8, 9, and 10, and there's a great prayer in there where they pray, and he's, he's, he knows they've been captive. He knows that all these generations of people screwed up with God. And so they got sent away out of the land. And he's saying, but I know you're a God of great mercy who longs to forgive. He's banking on God's love. I want you to bank on God's love. I want you to believe it. I want you to know it. I want you to experience it. So power and love. And then third is fullness. Paul prays that we would be filled with God's fullness to live it out. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Kind of a play on words to compound the idea. Filled and fullness, one's the noun, one's the verb. Verb. They're the same words that are used throughout the scriptures to talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's this idea, not that you can go get more God, because you can't. If you're a follower of Jesus and he's put a spirit in, in you, the Holy Spirit is a person. You have all of God you're ever going to get from the moment you were redeemed. You'll never get more of God. Now what he's praying is that you and I would let God have more of us, that we would empty ourselves of ourselves. We would empty ourselves 
of our old self habits. And we would now let God reside inside of us doing his work. And we would be full of his prophecies. We'd be full of his promises. We'd be full of his dreams. We'd be full of his commands. You and I would be filled up with God to the place where we are overflowing. Have you um, ever met someone who talks about their life and how cool it is and they've got this condo and they've got this house and they go on these adventures and they wear these clothes and they drive this car and they just, they just seem um, like everything's together. Have you ever run into people like that? Uh, Elizabeth and I, and I know this has never happened to anybody else, but we got caught one time or maybe more than one time in a um, timeshare sales presentation. Has anybody else besides us experienced that? And you're, you're alive. You, you, you got out. Okay. So, so we met one of these people that was just talking about all of those things. And we walk out of there and Elizabeth looks at me and, and says, she was so empty. You know, you can have all of the things of the world and fill your life with them, fill your soul with them. You can have all the wealth. You can have all the adventures. You can have all the cars. You can have all the houses. And you can be the most empty, miserable person in the world because there's nothing of eternal substance in those things. You'll never take them with you. They'll never satisfy you. They'll never bring you what you long for. And that's why Paul's last thing is, not only do you need his power, not only do you need his love, but you need to fill your life with him. You need to be filled up with God. You need to be overflowing with the things of eternal substance. So my question for you would be is, what is filling you? How is it that God is filling you? What is it? Not just his presence, but how are you allowing him to have the space in your heart and your mind and your soul? How are you filling yourself with the things that he says are best, are good, are noble, are true? Each of us probably has something that's coming to mind. And that's what we need to do. We need to fill, be filled up to the fullness of God. Look what he does next. This starting point was prayer. The ending point is praise. And Paul goes straight into this. He says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. If you want a, a little fun thing to do this afternoon as you wait for the chiefs to have a victory. Um, look at that phrase. Now to him who is able. Now him who is able to do. Now him who is able to do far more. Now him who is able to do far more abundantly. Now him who is able to do far more abundantly than all for him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask for him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Take some time and dwell on the staircase that's built there to let you know that 
your wildest imagination of what God can do in your life and what God can do through your life doesn't even begin to get to where God wants to take you when it comes to his power, his love, and his fullness. He is able to do far more abundantly than all that you could ask or think according to the power at work within us. Why? Because he has a purpose for your life that he would get glory through Jesus Christ and in the church. Who's the church? You're the church. I'm the church. We're the church. We exist to give God glory. How's he going to do that? By making us a powerful, loving person, full of him and his ways and his truth. And using us in this world to use that power for good, to spread that love to those who are desperate for it, to let God do his work in us and through us. Let's pray together. God, I confess that messages like this are super challenging to me. I feel like as I preach to my brothers and sisters, I'm preaching to the pastor. So I just, I want to confess, Lord Jesus, that I can't live the life that I long to live in my own effort or wisdom. I need your power. Thank you for your presence. Lord, I am a person who's a doer. And sometimes I don't stop to realize the depth of love, the breadth of your love, the length and the height of your love that you have shown to me. God, I pray that you would help me to be rooted and grounded in that love and that you would help us as a church to be a church that's rooted and grounded in love. Lord, I also pray that that power and that love would overflow out of our lives because we're so full of you and your ways and your truth and your wisdom that it, it naturally is who we are. So Lord, help, help us to be who you designed us to be by helping us to rely upon you fully. God, we want you to get glory through us in our generation and in every generation. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. We'd appreciate a positive rating and would encourage you to share this program with a friend. Thank you for listening.